Welcome to Phil Breakfast Metal, episode 10. Uh, this week we're covering some, I guess, Doom albums, like Doom and Stoner Rock. Uh, mainly new bands and mainly bands' first ever release, which is yeah, a theme mm. that's just come out uh, accidentally. Although the, the first of this lot we're covering is uh, Cave of Swimmers' latest album, Reflections, which is the second album by Cave of Swimmers. Uh, Cave of Swimmers are... Kind of a band who are getting quite a lot of like hipster credibility at the moment, which not necessarily a bad thing at all. There's a lot of very cool bands with a lot of uh, <laughs> that kind of credibility, but they're quite an interesting uh, concept and doom of being almost entirely revolving around a two-piece, like mm. not only for studio albums, but also for live performances. So they're made up of uh, G. Perez, who does vocals, guitar, bass, and synth, and live seems to do all four at the same time, <laughs> to some extent, and drummer Toro. Um, so they're two, uh, two Venezuelan uh, musicians who have since moved to, I believe, California. I could be wrong. Yeah, they're in Miami now. Oh, they're in Miami, yeah. Um, they're two guys who've been playing together since the age of 10, which, <laughs> which is incredible. Yeah, yeah just by itself, <laughs> still wanting to talk to someone you knew from age 10. It's, uh, <laughs> quite an achievement and they're both um, I don't know how well trained they are on this but they both seem to be sort of very experienced musicians the, the drummer is a like regular jazz drummer plays a lot outside of the field of metal and Perez um, is a flamenco guitarist so mm. does a lot outside of um, yeah outside of this more stoner rocky doomy sound um, so yeah, this is their second album, came out in 2015, and I believe it's a self-released album. Yeah, that's what I can tell. But uh, the thing with Cape of Swimmers, you have to understand, is that they have, they managed to make one guitar, or when live with doing synths as well, sound bigger than most bands. They have some of the most awesome sounding, huge riffs that I've ever heard, and incredibly well written, and you can tell these guys have been playing together since they were about 10, just from watching them play, the ability to just know exactly what the other is doing, stay in perfect time when, particularly uh, G is trying to manage so many different things, and sort of changing the grooves around the riff, particularly in um, so on Prince of the Power of the Air, which is a fantastic song, you can go look it up. Uh, it's the one that they've released for free, actually. Uh, he will often he'll change the drum groove during the song, which will completely change the riff and change the feel. And you can feel that they've spent so long playing together and able to lock in perfectly and sound awesome, and yet subtly change things up as well. Yes, yeah, so like the real interesting kind of limitation they kind of put on themselves, which makes for the kind of fun, weird template, is because they're a two-piece, everything has to be based around basically, like the guitar, bass, um, any kind of added synths, all need to go in the same direction, so you can't have a riff where the bass and guitar diverge mm, much. Mm. So this means to keep things interesting, the drummer has to keep coming up with like yeah. really interesting grooves to go underneath it, so the riffs don't get stale, and... It's quite a short album, but they do manage to keep this very tight and very groovy for an entire, um, yeah, the entire like forty-minute runtime. Yeah, for, for a two-piece as well, they have really long songs. Like most of these, other than I think Reflection, are over five minutes. So Skull and Prince of the Power of the Air are like ten minutes long. Yeah, uh, yeah. both of them. And the ability to keep something when you don't musically have a huge number of options, just because there's only two of you, it's incredible. So they go through, like, they almost defy categorization. There's, like, doom, stoner, sludge, psychedelic, sort of, like, tribal drum things, Latin influences, jazz influences. And when you're listening to the songs, they have these massive riffs, and then they'll often go into almost these sort of 
Latin-y tribal like breakdowns where you you know move to the bongos or something instead, and you have like and then you have bits where the synths are coming in, which G is playing with his foot at the same time <laughs> yeah. as he's playing the guitar and doing all the vocals as well, and it's, it's an amazing testament to their playing ability. Mm. And, and the, this is another one of these albums really has that feel like there's clearly a lot of love for many musical genres, but definitely for like a seventies rock vibe. Yeah, which yeah. You, again is probably why they get this sort of hipster credibility at the moment. Cause that's <laughs> <laughs> that's very in at the moment but the, the great thing about the 70s rock albums is they sound like bands playing live and this really yeah, yeah. really has the feel of a live performance like there's very few overdubs in it and like just the way it's recorded like it doesn't sound overly studio engineered to any yeah, extent yeah. It, it sounds very organic the whole album hmm. the, the one thing uh, remiss of us not to have mentioned yet is Perez's vocals, which are... Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, he very much goes in for that bombastic, um, over-the-top Doom, like, classic Doom style. Yeah, yeah, it's this sort of, like, opera-type thing, which, you know, when I first listened to this, really took me by surprise. You hear this big, stoner, doomy riff, and then you, then these vocals come in, you're like, that's weird, but that's awesome. Because <laughs> yeah. you, you don't, particularly this sort of style, which, you know feels sort of a little bit Latin and South, South American at the same time, you're like, that's a really cool combination of things. It's not quite like if you look at Candlemass or traditional Doom bands. It's not quite the same as that, and the genre is not quite the same. So they bring a really sort of fresh take on that, and it doesn't sound like any band I've ever heard. Yeah, like to carve out something new in this kind of niche of rock-influenced like doom metal is quite a thing these days. Um, We've got another two bands coming up who equally, I think, have managed to do their own thing within inside the constraints of that genre. And I guess uh, Cave of Swimmers maybe is their kind of vast array of influences really doing mm. it. Like, the drumming is not metal drumming on this no, album no, at all. No, not at all. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because the drummer is a percussionist as well, definitely. He spends so much time sort of playing bongos and stuff, which is on the album and you can hear. It's like, he's not just a trained drummer and he's certainly not a trained metal drummer. He's a percussionist as well. And this really helps as a two-piece when you're trying to keep an entire song interesting and go through different movements and motions, which they manage really, really well. Yeah, so we didn't mention this. These guys are a relatively new band. They formed around 2013 and have one album before this one. I've not heard it, though. Have you? No, I haven't listened to it. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, definitely need to go back. But I think it's that thing of, this is a really perfect template. Yeah, yeah. I'm always worried to go back to this first album and it not be as good. Mm, mm. Yeah, I was just blown away by the riffs and the vocals and everything on this album. Yeah, it is like a really tight performance. So the few, the first two tracks, we have Prince of the Power of the Air, which is... Which like, you will find yourself singing immediately <laughs> because it's amazing and it's, so catchy. That, that chorus is ludicrously yeah, catchy. Yeah. But, so this is like probably one of the more straightforward songs on the album. It's just a 10-minute sort of doom metal song with a bit of a kind of psychedelic breakdown in the yeah, middle. Yeah. And then we go into The Skull, which is probably the heaviest track on the mm, album, mm. almost 12 minutes long, has slightly more breakdowns, a lot of points where everything drops out and we just get a bit of synth work yeah, or a bit of yeah. weird guitar work and then builds back up towards the end to my absolute favourite guitar solo oh, yeah. of the album. Yeah, yeah. Like the other thing about this is the, this guy is such a good lead tone. So for live performances, he has a double neck guitar, one neck's a bass, one neck's a guitar. He's treading on synth pedals. <laughs> like, um, and doing vocals at the same time. It's... Yeah, craziness. But what he manages to do, like I always thought he'd be looping the rhythm guitar, which is what we get on the 
the studio recording, there's a rhythm guitar going under the solos. But live, these solos carry so much weight, he can just play them by himself with just the drummer. And they genuinely sound good. Because yeah, yeah. normally, if you hear a solo isolated, it sounds a bit weak. Like, yeah, but it's, it's an, like the guitar tone just has such power that it... You know, you can just pair it with whatever's going on with the drums, and it sounds like a full band are playing in front of you. It sounds exactly as it's intended to, which I don't, I don't think I come across many bands that can even attempt that. Mm. Oh yeah, definitely. And then after the skull, we get um, one of the more kind of definitely the most classic rock influence mm. song on the album. It's, it's still running, which is very much a classic rock structure, classic rock kind of riffs mm. until the middle point where it suddenly stops and you get this <laughs> crazy kind of slap bass, like yeah, kind just, of very funk influence. Yeah, so. yeah, with sort of the percussion going alongside it. But yeah, again, this uh, I think as you pointed out, this song has. <laughs> a horrendous overuse of the word free, like you'll find in a lot of classic rock songs. Yeah, uh, I've decided it's a classic rock staple of using the word free and rhyming it with itself. I've <laughs> seen so many bands do it, and I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it does make the core, like, otherwise very good song have a slightly awkward chorus. <laughs> Still annoyingly catchy. It's, it's incredibly catchy, uh, which is particularly good for a band that are doing like slightly weird things with this genre. They managed to make this ridiculously catchy and easy to sing along to and easy to remember the riffs, and the riffs are so big you will never forget them. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they are like, you know, a bit different to what you'd be expecting from a band like this. And then like the final track, Reflections, is the real departure from the rest of the mm-hmm. sound, where it's it's very instrumental, like very instrumental, it's instrumental, but um has a lot more going on, like this is the track I couldn't see them replicating live. Yeah, yeah. Because like so there's a lot of um there's a lot of synth work on the song and it really departs from the guitar and then the guitar keeps departing from like different guitar parts go in different directions, so Maybe they can reproduce this. I've not seen any videos of it. There's there's only so much a human is capable of (laughs) at at this point, I think. But yeah, this again really stands as a testament of Perez's really um, solid lead work. Oh, there's an awesome solo on this piece as well. Yeah, and it just keeps a five-minute instrumental really Mm. interesting. Yeah, yeah, which which is, again, well, obviously this has more sort of things taken apart from it, but there's, there's only two people involved in this. It's amazing to keep such a solid instrumental going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, the song we thought we'd uh, play from this one is the <laughs> the only one that isn't instrumental because we <laughs> want to shelf the vocals and is under ten minutes. <laughs> this is uh, yeah, the aforementioned still running. Look out for the amazing like bass solo, I guess, in the middle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
Okay, so the next album we're covering um, is a band I've been into for a while who are really cool. Um, they're called Kursk, which is, if you write it down, it's K-Y-P-C-K. And they are a Finnish band who sing entirely in Russian about things that happen in Russia, um, generally focusing on sort of Soviet Russia sort of era. So a lot of historical content to their stuff. They describe themselves as doomsday metal, um, which, you you know, I I feel it's probably not worth making up loads of other genres, but I feel they're a really interesting take on doom, and I can sort of see why they've given themselves their own name. And so they're a really interesting band from the perspective of sort of just the world in general because they're the only they're the Finnish band um, who happen to be played on the Russian rock radio stations where they're only meant to be playing Russian bands, but they seem to be completely fooled that these guys are a Russian band. And it's it's pretty easy to do. All of the stuff mm. is in Russian, all of the lyrics, all of the titles of the album, stuff like that. And this album, um, Cherno, I think that's how you pronounce it, I don't really know, um, <laughs> is the first worldwide release of an album which is sung entirely in Russian, which is again by a Finnish band, which is a bit weird, but really <laughs> cool. They've also done the longest Russian tour of any um, band that's not Russian. Um so, sort of, go, the name Kursk originates from. Uh, it's a Russian city, and during uh, battles between the Soviets and the Nazis, they have the largest tank battle ever between the German and the Soviets, which the Soviets won. Um, it's also the name of a Russian submarine, um, which sank in August 2000 with all 118 crew members. Uh, back so. reference to last episode, Mon of Death Cold wrote a song about that. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's all connected somehow. But yeah, they play their own... This is their first album, uh, released in 2007. Uh, sorry, released in 2008. They were formed in 2007. Um, and they play their own particular brand of doom metal, which is very different to the stuff, other stuff like A Cave of Swimmers um, or Candlemas, which we'll also be covering. It's not uh, operatic. It's more sort of down and dirty. And most of it is based around um, sort of Soviet Russia and what it was like living there and sort of the horrible things that happened. And it gets this feel across within the music. A lot of the riffs I was sort of noticing, instead of being these big, you know, power shows like in Cave of Swimmers, they're sort of a bit... Um, a bit chuggier in places, like on songs like Traitor, um, and they always always sound almost like a march is going on, or something is sort of bringing itself towards you. It's not the grand majesty of the doom that's awaiting you, it's this doom is marching towards you now. Um, and I really like that take on doom, and it really fits, because all the singing is done in Russian as well, it really sort of makes the themes that they're singing about sort of come alive in the music. It feels like what they're saying is sort of... It, the music reflects exactly what they're going for, which I really like about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the reason I'm being quiet on this is because this is a band Rob knows very well. I've only come across this album and they... Well, yeah, only really given this a good listen since Rob lent it to me ready for the show. And yeah, I think Rob raised a really good point about the sound because it, it is just... It's very bleak and oppressive and completely fits perfectly with mm. the themes. The the other point, like, really important thing to note is not only are the vocals in Russian, like, the vocalist has a very unique sound to him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never really heard a vocalist who does it like this. It's sort of... It's really sort of clean singing, but it doesn't really sound like clean singing. There's a bit of sort of harshness in there, but it's not sort of like a snarl or anything like that. It, it's just a very different way of doing things, and it works really well with the concepts they're going for. And you can range between sort of like, not getting into screaming, but far more sort of harsh and aggressive, to like quite quiet and subdued and eerie 
and it really highlights their music really well. The vocalist it most put me in mind of actually is Tiller Ramstein. Oh yeah, because it's yeah, that similar, that. like not quite extreme metal mm, vocals, mm. but almost there, and both are singing in quite a harsh sounding language. Yeah, yeah. Although I would say, like, uh, uh, I don't know how they fooled Russian because his accent is very clearly Finnish on this <laughs> album. Like, um, but then, then again, that might get better with future releases, as mm. I assume they've got to learn more Russian to do this. Yeah. Well, I believe the um, singer studied Russian at Oxford here in the mm. UK, actually, and knows Russian very well. But it's, it's ah. just interesting to find a band from one country who sing entirely in a different language mm. and seem to be one of the biggest bands, at least worldwide, that sing in this language. Uh, so, so there's, there's one weird thing about this album as well, is the, the bass on this album, and throughout all of their albums, they've now released four, I believe, um, they released one this year actually, uh, he only has one string, <laughs> which has puzzled me um, for a long time, you watch the live videos, he's only got one string on his bass, and it seems to work really well, the bass sound on this album, particularly when you hear the bass by itself, is really menacing and distorted, um, it seems a little limiting, but it seems to work for them, so that, that's cool in a way. Yeah, I guess it's like an thing of like he must have worked out he was playing pretty much everything on the E string because it sounded heavier and just went, sod it, I'm just going to use that. I've got to admit, as a bass guitar, <laughs> it is a horrible thing to look at. He, like, the, I've seen one picture of it where he's like filled in the headstock, so the headstock looks like it was only ever meant to have one string on it, but it's still wide enough. It's a yeah, very yeah. weird thing to look at. So I suppose the other thing to mention in regards to gear is, um, so this is their current guitarist, not the guitarist on this album, Cherno, but he has a guitar which is built out of an actual AK-47. Uh, which is like been taken apart, put back together with strings and pickups and everything. And it, I mean, it's it's a it's a thing to behold. It's um it's ridiculous, but it's really fun, and it fits their whole image. They have this sort of dressing up like Russian communists and stuff like that, and you know, it's cool. It works. Oh yeah, yeah. Like the, for such a kind of bleak sounding project, they seem like a lot of fun. I would love to mm. see them oh, live. Yeah. I don't know if they tour kind of. Um, Western Europe all that much, but... Yeah, um, I haven't seen too much about that. I know they do quite a lot of stuff in Eastern Europe, but um, I'd, lo I'd love to catch them if they ever do come to Western Europe. Um, as you were saying, they seem like fun. Um, also on their website, you can find that they have their own branded gas mask that you can buy, <laughs> uh, which is out of stock at the moment, but you can get a um, Kursk branded gas mask if you really want one. I, I mean... <laughs> In their defence, it's not the dumbest bit of merch I've seen. No, no, I mean, <laughs> far from it. I think my favourite at the moment is Flesh God Apocalypse themed pasta. Yeah, you can pasta and wine themed in Flesh God Apocalypse. <laughs> but sort of, um, yeah, so we're back to the album. Um, I've been looking up some of the translations of the lyrics, obviously they're all in Russian, and um, some translations sort of vary. But um, I think the lyrical content's really interesting. So, like, to highlight some of them, they've got Song Stalingrad, which is the single from this album, um, which is about um, a man in Stalingrad whose son turns him over to the Russian authorities for some form of crime. Um, and it's sort of a song about how he's sad to be going and he doesn't want to go to jail or a gulag or wherever, but that he still loves his son. And it's like it's really quite emotional, but like heartbreaking stuff within all of this. And you can't understand any of it because I don't speak any Russian. Um, but when you read into it, you get this extra layer of sort of doom and gloom, which I think really adds to how bleak the album feels. 
And there's other songs like um, 1917, which is about the Russian Revolution and someone who wants to escape to America. Um, and that all his friends have been killed and his brothers are gone. Um, and this is sort of about, you know, when the Bolsheviks came to power, uh, you know, it was a brutal and horrible place. And like we were talking about with the monolith death cult, like this is what doom to some degree, I think, is excellent at covering. Because this is some of like the brutal and like, worst bits of history. Um, like if you look at sort of Lenin's... Um, Russia and things like the Kronstadt Rebellion in 1921, you have these horrible sort of like massacres and people being killed and just sort of uncertainty and this creeping doom. And they get that across in their music perfectly. Like the distortion of the guitars and this weird sort of bass tone that doesn't vary much because he's only got one string. Um, and like the pounding drums behind, which set this constant pace. And then these sort of like slightly Bramstein-ish vocals over the top, but then in a different language, which gives it this different feel, just mm. brings across this doom and gloom that they're covering perfectly. Yeah, it is, it's such a good fit of topic to music. Mm. Um, the, the one kind of opinion that you might find offensive that I had about this like, takeaway was I've listened to the album quite a few times through yeah. now, and the influence I kind of got, and I don't know where, but I noticed a slight kind of grunge influence on this sound. I oh, yeah. saw some yeah. riffs, especially in the earlier tracks, that were, um, I don't know, felt kind of like Alice in Chains dirtier or inspired. I can see the Alice in Chains, yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, that, maybe Alice in Chains aren't really fair to lump in with all of grunge, because they don't sound a hell of a lot like the calling. Well, I don't think grunge ever made much sense as a genre, really. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, no, I can see that. There's some sort of leanings to, like, more simplistic rock in some cases than you might find in something like Candlemas, which is going, like, right off the sort of Sabbath end of things. And this maybe takes a few more cues from, like, simpler stuff, but then puts it through this filter of, like, a way they write music in which I've never heard any other band do. And the same thing with sort of vocals and stuff like that. I don't hear other bands do things like this. And they have some great bits. They have some really nice sort of um, acoustic guitar passages, like on the beginning of Demon, which I think is my favourite song from the album. Yes, yeah. Um, which then brings it in into this sort of like melodic but distorted guitar which comes in and then the vocals over the top of that and it just sounds like you know hell is coming for you um and i really love the sound they managed to get with that i think demons are really interesting track to point out as well because that like most of the album follows in kind of a theme but demons the one where they really they change up the sound like his vocals get a lot more clean and mournful mm -hmm. for it and there's a lot more atmospheric passages rather than it all being this kind of like pounding drum rhythm like I think there's quite a few bits where the drum is not in or keeping it very simple behind yeah, yeah. and yeah like it really is a strong closer to an album yeah yeah it's it's one of the ones which is sort of based off slightly different um, lyrically as well it's based off a poem by um Lomonotov who I don't know actually but um I, I should also say I would be you know, saying all the band members, but I feel I would butcher the pronunciation horribly. Yeah, there's so, a lot of them out. Yeah, we're just, just not good enough at reading different languages and stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, like, it's it's a great achievement. And, like, I feel the album is really tight as well. So perhaps the first song, Depth Charge, which, like, you can just about hear clips of Sonar in, <laughs> is maybe my only criticism, because it's about a minute and a half of literally nothing. Um, but then, again, when I first listened to this album, you listen to that bit where there's nothing happening, and you come into the first riff of Christmas in Murmansk, and you're like, whoa, I, I wasn't expecting that to suddenly come out of nowhere. They do a really nice sort of where you can just make the guitar make this horrible feedback noise in that riff and in other parts as well, which works really nicely slotted into these riffs, because it just sounds sort of jarring and unnerving, mm -hmm. which gets across exactly what they're going for, I think.
Yeah, yeah, de- definitely. I definitely does that thing. I despise on albums of starting silent for about twenty seconds, yeah. and it gives you that heart attack of like, is my music equipment broken? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like other than that, yeah, this is a this is a very tight release and doesn't outstay its welcome. It's only it's fifty five minutes, which is not pushing it too like for a doom band. That's not pushing it too yeah, far. It's too Esoteric doing bloody 120 minute albums <laughs> or Swallow the Sun doing a triple album yeah, yeah. I've still not I, sat I, down I with that got to that. one day <laughs> but yeah um, it's a really interesting album it's, I think it's the first album I ever got which was entirely sung in a different language which is a really different experience musically uh, so I'd strongly advise checking them out they've got three other albums which are all really good as well I think this is probably my favourite of them it gets their formula like really tight but other things worth checking out, um, some from the album after this called Alea Stalin or The Alley of Stalin uh, is really cool. Uh, and they've got a really good music video for that, which is as bleak as you can imagine it is. Uh, it's up on YouTube, which is worth checking out. That's how I first found the band. Um, but for this album, uh, we were going to play Christmas in Murmansk, which is the second song.
So the third album we're covering today is yet another debut. Um, it's by the band, the Italian band Messa, uh, formed in 2014, actually released kind of middle of 2016. So their first album, Belfry, again, another independent release. Um, so yeah, this is another, another completely different take on the kind of doom genre, uh, or genres in this particular album's case. <laughs> like, um, so they're built around the core of four musicians. You've got uh, drummer, lead guitar, uh, guitar and bass, and then uh, female vocalist. So you can kind of imagine where that sound's going to go. Like you have the very clean vocals over your standard sort of. Well, maybe more more than like more than the usual of that. This isn't mm. just the the standard kind of a cult rock sort of doom the yeah like they definitely take influence from bands like uh jex foff um blood ceremony you know that kind of ilk but the the thing they really do which i think separates them out is they distort the guitar so much further yeah yeah if you listen to songs like blood on this which is probably the heaviest song on the album like this guitar sounds like it could be in Triptychon or celtic frost or something it's so heavy which is awesome to hear when combined with a lot of the sort of more you know the rock end of black sabbath songs like new horns like it's a really cool sort of variety of sounds adding into that the sort of uh, drone and ambient sort of influences mm. they put in and it adds up to this really distinct package which doesn't quite sound like any other band doing the occult rock thing and I think a big part of that is actually uh, Mark Sade's bass tone like the like because a lot of the a lot of songs seem like they have one guitar throughout for the mm. most part maybe like two where there's like solo pans but when the bass comes in like it has such a big sound and they managed to get it to sit like a distorted bass to sit audibly in the mix, which is a very hard thing to yeah, do. Yeah. Normally, when you distort the bass, it will just drop. Like it fits in the sound, but you can't tell distinctly mm. what it's doing. Yeah. So in in the sort of um, trail of Kursk, sort of calling themselves a weird genre, these um, Messer called themselves Scarlet Doom on their yeah. Facebook page. <laughs> so everyone's got their own version of like exactly what Doom is. But I really like, um, so looking down their influences and stuff, I was seeing things like Bell Witch and um, Pentagram and uh, Bathory. So immediately I was thinking, this is exactly the sort of band I'm interested in. Um, and I really felt that came to a point on the song New Horns, uh, which has a real sort of like Bathory feel to the first riff of sort of Blood on Ice era Bathory, but mm. done by a Doom band. And then it sort of transitions into these other things. And then you've got super heavy songs and you've got Candlemass style riffs. Uh, particularly um, Hour of the Wolf has a sort of almost at Gallows End style driving guitar riff. And it sounds awesome, but it's great to have all these influences in the same place. Yeah, the, the, um, the, we should probably explain like, sort of how the album kicks off. is It starts like, I found this band via, like a, like a method I used to find bands through all the time, but haven't done so so much recently, of just seeing the album cover like in a YouTube link. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it has such a cool cover, I clicked on it. Because the, the cover is a, a photo of like a flooded village where the only thing still visible is the, the bell tower of a church. Yeah, it's so it's, the, a, it's, it's a Lago de Rasa, which is an artificial lake. Uh, it's a 14th century church, which ah. is just sort of like sticking out of it. Um, and they decided to, you know, make this lake and flood the rest of the village. And the church is just sort of sticking up out of it. But the cover is this sort of a black and white image. So when I first saw it, I was thinking, oh, that, that sort of looks like a black metal cover, really. Oh, yeah, and then it's yeah. not. It really surprised me, and I really liked that. But it is a really eye-catching 
you cover. So particularly surprising, the album starts with Alba, which is like a, a four-minute kind of like sort of drone song, and mm. there's a lot of these little interludes on the album where you get kind of ambient, kind of drone-influenced things. I think they're all done using guitar and bass, like sort of feeding mm. back mm. with the odd little sample over them. But this is a very like understated but quite menacing intro. So you, I was listening to this, being like, "Oh, it's kind of cool." I've got nowhere, no idea where this is going, and then straight away after like at the end of album, it kicks into Babylon that just comes in with this massive kind of super distorted stoner rock riff yeah, like yeah. suddenly so you've had four minutes of drone <laughs> into really groovy stoner yeah. rock <laughs> into, into this huge riff and Babylon's really cool as well because it has this massive riff which it interchanges with sort of these much quieter parts where it's just a guitar going at your first sort of taste of what the vocals sound like mm. and they are these really sort of ethereal slightly haunting and Linking back to what we covered a few episodes ago, Zeal and Ardo, it sort of sounds like a ritual is being cast or something. Some form of satanic ritual is going on, which you're involved with. And then the riff kicks back in. And then throughout the album, you'll actually get to hear um, vocalists really going for it as well. And like it's, it's a really nice pairing of sound. It just sounds like this sort of occult thing that they're going for. Mm. The vocals really accentuate that. Yeah, so uh, vocalist Sarah, like when she she has that kind of um like the mournful kind of ritual sound and then when it hits the chorus she comes in with just bombastic like hard rock uh, heavy metal kind of chorus like like if you, if you know bands like blood ceremony it's a similar delivery but mm. i think she's got a bit more range to it like she's quite an impressive vocalist and definitely helps carry this album even though she's only on about six of the the total <laughs> track list <laughs> yeah as you're talking about the ambient tracks as well so that, that was maybe one of the things where I thought perhaps some of them could have been cut down a little bit um, particularly tracks like Bell Tower which is about three and a half minutes of not much um, yeah and so there are times I, rec- I think it worked really well so the track before Hour of the Wolf probably my favourite track, mm. um, Pharaoh, uh, works really works. It's about a minute and a half and it slowly builds up with like this just bit of guitar sort of feedback going on. And I think that what one works it? really nice. I think that's entirely bass. Like, yeah, it's like, like, and really, yeah, as you say, like builds really nicely into this. Yeah, and it, and it just works really well as a transition between these songs rather than having them go straight back into each other, which which works with some bands, but I feel with Messer because they're a bit, you know, slower and go through quite a lot of movements within their songs, it's quite nice to have that little gap Although, you know, I, I feel it works well when it's sort of shorter and builds to the point very nicely, like Pharaoh does. Yeah, towards the, towards the end of the album, because it's, it's an hour-long album, it does sometimes feel like... Well, it just sometimes kills the momentum. So like, the main criticism of this album, and possibly this is a, like, a compliment as well, is every track is like a new, like a different <laughs> sort of metal subgenre. So it starts <laughs> with like, like, this kind of really droney intro. Then we get like a very classic Doom song mm. and then like Hour of the Wolf is like a kind of slightly different branch of Doom yeah, again it's, it's like your sort of early St. Vitus pentagram which find a general type mm-hmm. thing like it's, 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 it reminds me of listening to the first St. Vitus album and be like that's this but done today with sort of modern production and everything and it's, it's really cool and then the Blood the longest track on the album has this middle section where <laughs> it goes into a kind of um well, sounds like a more improvised sort of stuff where the guitar mm. 
sort of is left by itself doing a melodic riff and then some kind of um, either wind instrument or maybe an alto sax. I can't work out what it is. Yeah, no, I wasn't sure. I was thinking it was a clarinet or something. Um, but yeah, like it just sort of comes in and I was getting this sort of slight vibes of Shining or yeah, something yeah. like that. Should clarify Norwegians for Shining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't go sort of black metal. But uh, yeah, it's really cool. And I like throughout that whole middle bit, it just put me in mind of summoning the devil of some strange ritual because blood like starts off with this super heavy riff and then continues into this weird midsection and then comes back out into this super heavy stuff yeah and in that super heavy section the drum and mystery really gets to show off and mm, does that classic mm. kind of doom thing of using the drums over a continuing riff to just build the riff up yeah, by doing yeah. more and more and more for a, like a massively heavy crescendo mm. then we get like what is a almost a theme of this album massively heavy crescendo Everything stops. We get an ambient drone <laughs> number of um, of Tomba, which is the the one of the kind of droney songs that uses the most of the sampling, like mm. this weird kind of um, kind of like clock ticking noise in the background yeah, through it, yeah. and and maybe the first point where um, yeah they start feeling like they're overdoing the drone. <laughs> And the other really interesting thing is, like, they've been very candid about their sort of influences, saying, like, really into Pentagram Bellwitch, mm-hmm. uh, Jex Foth, Bathory. There's no drone on there, but then it seems to be a huge part of the album. Yeah, yeah, so you get these sort of long ambient sections, but nothing, you know, you'd quite describe as a full-on drone song. But, uh, yeah, like, I think you can definitely sort of hear where it, where they're coming from with that, but there's nothing that would make me, considering how many songs they do which are like, just in the style of something which seems they're really influenced by and how many you can directly hear, it is sort of slightly odd there isn't a drone song or two yeah. on there. And the, the, then towards the end of the album, we have, like, another really long, epic track of Altimost, which reminds me so much of Reverend Bazaar, which is, yes. yeah. is a huge compliment because I love Reverend Bazaar's mm. style of riffing, and they seem to have absolutely nailed it. And despite the kind of completely different vocal direction, actually there is a similarity even in the vocal delivery. Like, Yeah, it's definitely not the same thing, but you, but you can see that sort of theme going on amongst it. They have the same, like, carrying on the Reverend Bizarre sort of theme. The next, the final song of this, Confess, is this sort of, like, just weird little acoustic folk song at the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but seems to carry the same theme as the album. I really liked it as a closer. It's only about four minutes Mm. But, but it really, it really sounds like the um, folk side project of Reverend Bizarre Singer, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, and, and like this, like any criticism we're laying at this is is almost unfair because this is a a new a newly formed band. I, I can't find much else about the the members having done anything else. I think two of them have another band or mm. on like their second album. But these guys are completely new to it and have given this incredible slab of just. Like just thrown all their influences in, and we have a bit of all of them on display. I mean, the thing I really want from this band in the future is I'd slightly like them to condense their influences together, like mm. sort of, sort of, because the the main problem with this album is it does feel like it's kind of flitting between things. Like, yeah, it, yeah. every song ends, and you get like a kind of new idea. Which is very, and and I think that's perfectly acceptable for a first album to be that slight kind of excited mishmash of loads of different cool ideas and influences. 
But I think, yeah, there's some amazing things to come from a band with such a wide variety of influences and so many influences that I'm super into. So I'm mm-hmm. really looking forward to see what they do next because they've got so many different directions they can play around with and so much has been like shown on this album that they could take and expand in a completely new like sound or something. So I'm really excited to see what they do next. This is an amazing way to sort of make your mark on the metal scene. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, like I saw recently a video of they played in Camden, I think it might be the first UK gig, and this sounds right live. They can reproduce this live, which is yeah, really important if you can mm. make if you can translate that that incredible guitar and bass tone more than anything, and it does seem to work as a, a live unit, which is yeah, really important for this kind of metal and mm. Yeah, I can't overstate how good the guitar and bass tone is on this album. To have nailed your sound that well on a first album yeah, is almost spectacular. Yeah. And it, it has that thing that Cave of Swimmers has that we're talking about, where the bits where they really get going is just super catchy. Like a Doom album like this has no right to be quite this catchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly Hour of the Wolf, just the main riff is just so. You just It will be in your head for ages. <laughs> yeah, I, I have found myself like uh, listening to a few of the kind of more catchy tracks from this on repeat. Mm, mm. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a wonderful... wonderful yeah, album. so we thought we'd um, we'd play from this one, Hour of the Wolf, because it's it, it's the, the clear kind of single track from this, and yeah, I hope you do get this stuck in your head. It's, it's the riff that when I listened to it, I knew I loved it.
Okay, so the final album we are covering is the classic Doom album. Um, this is Epicus Doomicus Metallicus uh, by Candlemass, released in 1986. This is like the album which began the doom metal scene from Sweden um, and all around the world. It took what Black Sabbath had done and made it into the entire genre of doom metal that we know today. Uh, and like this is an incredibly formative album for me. I got this ages ago and I've loved it since the first time I've played it. It's just one of those albums which marks this point in history where everything else we've talked about today comes from this album. This album formed everything to do with doom metal. Mm. And it's uh, incredible. It's one of those albums which I'd say is pretty much perfect. Like almost e- like every song on it is brilliant and has its own sort of story to tell and has some awesome riffs, some incredible vocals, great drums, great bass. And for an album from 1986, for Doom album, 19- yeah, 1986, it sounds incredibly heavy. Mm. The production and the instrumentation and the playing on this album just makes it sound. Heavy in a way that no other album sounds heavy, and that will, you know, be with it for the rest of its life. You can get, like, just the standard version of this album, no remastering, and it sounds really heavy, even mm-hmm. by today's standards. Yeah, so, uh, the, like, you must have heard of this band at some point. Calamass, probably the biggest band in Doom, if you don't mm-hmm. count Black Sabbath as a Doom band. Um, like, and as Rob was saying, came out in 1986. It's really interesting to put this in... in context for this time like they they formed in 1984 after the breakup of leaf's previous band nemesis who were Mm -hmm. i think more of a hard rock kind of uh sound and at this time the only like really big sort of metal band in sweden is europe they're the only (laughs) ones to break out of sweden now countermass wouldn't have until after this album and then we soon have Bathory around the same point in yeah, time. Yeah, and I believe Leaf played with um, Europe's drummer in one of his old projects. So this is still sort of like mingling going on with these bands. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, and also to put this in context of albums released at the time, 1986. This came out before Megadeth's Peace Cells and Anthrax's Among the Living, yeah, yeah. and uh, a couple of months after uh, Master of Puppets. Mm. So we are really in the kind of you know, the the founding time for extreme metal. And if you just listen to, like, this album alongside Peace Cells or Master of Puppets, it's so different. This is so much darker and heavier and, like, takes so much more time in an era where bands was essentially measured by how fast they could play and how harshly they could scream or yell over the top of the music, which, I mean, is awesome as well. There was a band that took a completely different outlook and just slowed everything down and went back to Black Sabbath and said... Can we make this heavier? Yes, yes, we can. Yeah, I think definitely channeling influences like um, Trouble, um, mm. so those like those weird American bands who sort of got Doom going yeah, by themselves, yeah. um, and yeah, clearly like, had influence on people, but never quite got the acclaim of um, peers at the time. Uh, so this this is basically Lee Felding's project. He's the bass pl- player, lyricist, and main songwriter. He came, mm-hmm. comes up with like 90% of the material, although I think uh, drummers and lead guitarists all had their own spin to it. Um, if you l- listen back to uh, the Witchcraft demo that came out beforehand, you can hear very interesting versions of these songs with Leaf doing all the vocals, and it's... It, I can't say I like it, but... 
then I know what the songs are <laughs> like can sound like. Yeah. Yeah. So this project was like a really interesting thing. It almost didn't come together. So Leaf got signed on the strength of these demos he'd been doing with uh, Mappe, the rhythm guitarist, who's still a member of Candlemass to this yeah, day, yeah. and uh, drummer Matt uh, Ekstrom. Um, but they couldn't get a good vocalist for it. Leaf didn't want to do it because his vocals weren't big enough to fill the Candlemass sound, which... It's a sound that makes a vocalist work mm, hard. Mm. So they got in touch with, I think, a friend of the drummer, uh, Johan Linquist, who sort of had his own hard rock band at the time. Very good singer. They managed to convince him to sort of jam with them, play it, like, and be on the album, but he never joined the band. So, like... Yeah, well, and when he went to record, he hadn't heard any of the music at the point he was mm, recording mm. and had to have extensive coaching from Leaf whilst they were there. Um, and then the other thing, amazing thing about the album, it was made on a budget of $1,800, yeah, which is nothing. For a full album with drums and everything recorded and a singer who'd never heard any of the music, it's amazing what they got out of that money, like this amazing slab of doom. But yeah, the interesting, because Jan refused to join the band, we have, um, the actual band is only three members of rhythm, mm. guitar, bass and drums. We have a guest lead guitarist and a guest <laughs> singer, uh, which, which resulted in a very interesting year when this album came out. Effectively, Candlemass imploded straight afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it, took, it wasn't until Messiah later got in touch on strength of, um, strength of this recording, they were turned into a actual touring entity yeah, yeah. this album was never toured with this lineup well until the reunion gig a couple mm. of years ago well and there's other things I remember reading interviews of Leaf where he talks about um, Johan the singer and that oh, sometimes after he played a Candlemass show much later on in the career he'd go outside and get a taxi back after the show and Johan would be driving the taxi <laughs> yeah. to say oh how'd the show go like, you, you sung the first album and like he's an incredible singer I really like the way he sings um, there are some people who say that perhaps technically he's not as good as Messiah or some of the singers who come afterwards. And Messiah and you know Rob Lowe and the other singers who come afterwards are also incredible. Candle yeah. Masters has some amazing vocalists. But this guy was the one who started it all off, and I love his voice on this album. It's amazing. Yeah, if you um if you get the sort of the reissue of Epicus Dumicus Metallicus, there is a bonus um disc which is just the album but with Leaf kind of narrating it and Leaf equally has this same like utter respect for Johan's vocals. He absolutely loves like the way they were delivered on this. And they are incredible. We we're talking earlier with Cave of the Swimmers of that kind of bombastic in your face kind of sound and he completely nails this. Has a reasonable range, kind of tends to sing relatively low for this mm, kind of mm. heavy metal vocalist, but can hit some super high notes, like great section in the middle of Under the Oak where he really, mm. really drives the, the music towards a crescendo by just going sort of higher and higher in it. Yeah, and there's bits where he really lets rip as well and gets into almost screaming. Uh, I can't remember what song it is, but it's, uh, it's this sort of bit where it says, I cry for the ones I have lost and just like screams it and it's incredible and it it matches so well with what the music is doing at the time. And then he has bits where he sort of sings by himself as well, where he sings the Blackstone Wielder is born. And there's just these awesome bits which really lift you with the rest of the music. He's an incredibly charismatic presence on this album. Mm. Now, it's a Candlemas album, so the absolute critical thing to mention is the riffs. Like, mm. Candlemas are a band built around simplistic, logical, slow, catchy riffs. Like, they, they, their riffs just seem to flow in a way you would expect. 
but still, no one else had done this at this yeah, time. Yeah. So the the opener, Solitude, a song that originally wasn't going to be in the album, I think it was the final track written for this release, and is now um, absolute live staple. It's, it's just it's the Candlemas song. Yeah, definitely. It, as I believe says on that um, that kind of uh, narration that this is the song you show people mm-hmm. if you want to introduce mm-hmm. them to Candlemas, like. This track um, originally kind of, it was the drummer, Mats, that uh, pushed for this to be included. Um, originally, the place was going to be taken by the Samaritan, l- later released mm. on the next album, but the drummer hated that one. <laughs> he quit before that album, so it was reinstated. And uh, yeah, there's quite a few kind of like theory, like uh, kind of track lists that were vying for attention yeah. to this album. Basically, the Tales of Creation, the fourth album, was nearly the first, like, that <laughs> concept was put together and we see uh, Under the Oak track 5 mm. um, appears on both because it's in the concept album, but it was the one kept from the original Tales of Creation kind of demos. Yeah, and then Leaf was saying that, in an interview I read, that he was wanted Demon's Gate to be the first track as this mm. sort of awesome intro to the album with these um, spoken vocals, and then was essentially overruled. They said, no, look, Solitude is the one. And he freely admits in the interview that they were right. You know, Solitude became this uh, like amazing track, and it, and it is, is brilliant. Like, it is Candlemas just distilled down to exactly what they're best at. Yeah, so it starts with a kind of very mellow sort of... Um clean tone guitar intro and then comes in with the Candlemas riff like, yeah, it, yeah. and like adds like Johan's like really um, kind of stretching every word out like mm. in that chorus like that kind of vocal performance it, it just is the essence of what a Candlemas song normally sounds yeah, like yeah. vocalist kind of going over the top throughout then in the middle we get a very melodic very catchy solo mm, mm. there's a lot of great solos on this album as well like throughout the album you have these really solid memorable catchy riffs but at the same time you have this beautiful lead guitar work that goes over them which like is the envy of loads of metal bands who have way better guitarists because it's just written so well and the melodies again just sound the sort of doom and, and, and gloom that Candlemas are all about, but in this epic way. Uh, Epicus Doomicus Metallicus is, uh, means epic doom metal in something called Dog Latin, which I only found out when researching this episode, <laughs> which is where you just directly translate a word into Latin, which doesn't make sense if you read it in Latin, but it's this feel of not, it's not just doom and gloom and like grittiness like some other bands like Cursed might do. There's an epicness to it. And the mm. melodies of the guitar solos, as well as these huge operatic vocals, carry this over these sort of like really great punchy riffs. Yeah, so all the solos on this album done by Klaus Bergwell, who again, a guest musician on it, just a friend of, I think, the drummers again, who they just managed to get in last minute to be their lead guitarist. Um, like never done anything more of them hasn't doesn't seem to have a lot of um, a lot of kind of musical achievements to his name other than being bloody mm. awesome yeah. on this like <laughs> yeah. he, he like I, like the the new guy they've got like and has had ever since is an incredible lead guitarist but these are really up there with some of the best solos that have ever appeared mm. in Candlemas mm. songs like you listen to all the uh, let's say Blackstone Wielder um, one of the longer tracks on the album just has a Perfectly guitar break. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so worth talking about, I suppose, particularly in comparison to other bands at the time. 
the sort of lyrical content that Candlemas went with and the themes versus, you know, a lot of thrash, which is angry and aggressive. And this album was, I guess, in a way more introspective. You have songs like Solitude, which are about depression and dying. Um, and then you have these songs about occult things like Demon's Gate and Crystal Ball and Blackstone Wielder, which is Leaf's own sort of personal fan fiction, I suppose, of yeah. um, the three wise men from the Bible. And it is just a bit, it's a bit darker. It's a bit more concealed. And I guess it's not as cool. It's not as cool as a thrash metal band. It's more, again, more just introspective and sort of alone and, and weirder. And it matches their sound perfectly. Yeah, definitely. So, like, um, on top of that, like, we should probably discuss the, the production of this album. Because this album came out in 1986. Like, don't have the same technologies available. It was recorded in a studio underneath a train station. Yeah. There was apparently a dank, cold shithole. Um, <laughs> yeah, they were talking about how they had to wear gloves and long johns at all times because it was so fucking cold there. They, they, they had to borrow a drum kit like or use someone else's drum kit so the drummer was never allowed to hit the drums as hard as he wanted. <laughs> so he was constantly in this kind of state of uh, <laughs> yeah, not quite playing to his best mm. ability. But... If you listen to the solo, the like kind of drum solo bit on Demon's Gate, he's playing pretty well. <laughs> and, and for only $1,800 as well. And if you listen to what Leaf has to say about this, he says that, you know, the production, the guy doing production for them did an amazing job. But a lot of the credit is also down to the individual members of the band who spent ages making sure they got exactly the tones. They're talking about the drums, making sure that the bass drum sounded really loud so you could really hear it and that mm. really adds and the toms sounded bigger than any other band's ever had toms sound like at this point and it just adds together and you don't have the sort of you know distortion and amazing studio stuff you can do with guitars and bass that you can now but there is no other album that sounds like this album and no. the, the guitar riffs sound different to every other album and it sounds heavy in a way that no other even no, no other Canamas album has really got this style of heaviness and it will always sound different to everything else and will always sound amazing because of just the hard work that went into making this yeah yeah, it really is quite an incredible piece of work and as Rob was saying six tracks long every one of them could mm. go into a live set be absolutely brilliant and I think, I, I think I've seen most of the tracks of this album performed live like they could close a so uh, close a live set with any one of yeah. these songs. Yeah. Like, like even say probably the weakest number on the album, "Sorcerer's Pledge," which is still catchy as all hell. Like um, maybe it's just like no, it's not. No, it's it's fine. Like, it's it's awesome. Yeah. I remember reading an interview of Leave talking about it had guest female vocals on this track as well, which is awesome. Like it builds up from this sort of really soft um, acoustic guitar into this awesome heavy candle mass song with these guest female vocals at the end which close out the album in an awesome way I remember so I mean if you look at the photos that you can get with this album you'll see that they're they're all sort of in an interesting state of you know when you're 16 and you're trying to be into metal <laughs> at that point we're sort of trying to grow a beard and this pushed back hair and you know your metal poses your open shirt that sort of thing they, they have a very um <laughs> hair metal look at this point in yeah, time. Yeah. So, you like, definitely it, see the Europe influence. I, I think we were saying as well, like these sort of rival early Celtic Frost and Hellhammer pictures for sort of how bad they are. But I remember him saying that when um, this uh, woman came in to do vocals for them, they were just all terrified of her because she was this really beautiful, amazing singer who did this great thing for them. And they're all, you know, they're essentially just kids at this point who just happened to have made one of the best Doom albums <laughs> of all time, if not one of the best albums of all time. 
Yeah, yeah. And the like the particular bit of vocals Rob's talking about ends up in a really awesome way because like the guitar comes in with a, a riff we haven't heard before and it's a really catchy riff then these vocals come up over the top mm. and this only goes on for about 20 seconds and the album fades out leaving this this amazing kind of sense of they had so much more to yeah. do with this yeah. like yeah. <laughs> if they can close off like a cool riff like that and don't really feel the need to mm. overuse it like they're definitely hinting that there's more to come. And, and it gives you this occult theme at the end because you just have these clean vocals, so these like, haunting melodies, sort of like a matter that we talked about, just fading out at the end. And you think, like, it reinforces the whole theme of the album. And you think, yeah, that, that's an amazing package from start to finish. All of it works. Yeah, yeah. It, it really, like, because, like, Leaf in the audio commentary is sort of saying, there's a lot of flaws in the production, but honestly, this isn't. This is an album I can't fault. I don't think the production is flawed particularly. It has a sound to it. It just, but it has a very natural sound mm, that. Mm. It, again, we were saying this about uh, Cave of Swimmers. It's like, it sounds like a band playing live, and that's yeah, almost yeah. perfect. Like any slight kind of, um, like just anything lost in that sound is not a problem. It doesn't affect these riffs in the slightest. Yeah, and I think sort of any attempt to like re-record it with modern technology or anything like that would just sort of get rid of the feel of this album. And just nothing sounds like this. Nothing has this blend of what made it so heavy at the time and what sort of like shocked everyone and thought, you can't do that with metal. And then they did. They did something which no one else had done. Well, case in point with the kind of you couldn't re-record it, Under the Oak recorded four years later on Tales of Creation. Um doesn't sound as good. It just mm. doesn't quite work as well. It's still good. Tales of Creation a really, really decent Candlemas album. I'd say probably in the top five, but it just doesn't work quite as well as this. And if you hear any redone version of Solitude, because I think there's a recorded version mm. with every single vocalist, like yeah, yeah. none quite nail it like this original. Like it, it didn't need any more than it had mm. here. Mm. Yeah, so um, we, we sort of we thought about obviously you can play Solitude from this because it's the Candlemas song that everyone knows, but we thought we'd sort of play one of the other tracks because again you could play any track from this album mm. they're all great. We think we settled on um, was my favourite song of the album uh, is Blackstone Wielder, yeah. uh, which is yeah the story of the wise man according to Leaf Edler. Yeah, so this this is a really interesting track because it's the it's like uh, Leaf describes it as the black sheep of the album because it's mm. the one that's not quite like the rest. It's yeah. a bit um, I don't know, it maybe a bit more rocky than some of the other tracks, and, and the riffs aren't quite as what would come to be known as classic Candlemas yeah, as everything yeah. else, but. Still a really impressive song. So saying before, the solo in the middle is perfect. And like, Johan's vocals on this it are really incredible. highlights the vocals this song as well. Because there's a couple of bits where he's unaccompanied as well, where it brings it back into another riff coming on. And he can he can just lift you with whatever the music is doing. It's a great showcase of that. And actually, interesting bit, bit of trivia about this. We'll have to count, cover Canada Mass again because there's so much fun oh, yeah. metal history about them. But it starts with an intro in Swedish. Um, it's a great county in the uh, I think it's Leaf County in Swedish. And um, when the guys in King Diamond heard this, they, they've been really enjoying Epicus, thinking, oh, this is some cool new American band and realised it was actually a Swedish band. They didn't know of any good bands from Sweden. And because on the strength of how much they enjoyed this, Messiah rang them up randomly and asked to be tour support. And King Diamond just straight away was like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and took Candlemas on their, like, uh, the, the Nightfall lineup on their first tour and turned, like, 
And that probably is what broke Candlemas yeah. as this yeah. band. And, and gave us so many fantastic albums after this one as well. And so, so, much, yeah. so much has been influenced. Like, if yeah, this yeah. wasn't here then, when is the next, like, absolutely brilliant doom metal album mm, from mm. that point? And did that not take influence from Candlemas as well? Yeah, like, yeah. I just can't imagine what the metal scene would look like without this album. Yeah, so without that counting that was in there, like, we may well be talking about a very different host of bands today. You know, a lot of bands we've spoken about, Cave of Swimmers, Kursk, and um, Mesha, like, all of these bands are affected by Candlemas and will have been influenced by Candlemas regardless because they shaped this entire scene. And without that little counting, you may never have had all of this great music we have today. Yeah, more so than pretty much any album I think we've even covered, mm. I would suggest buy this one. This is <laughs> It's just a piece of metal history, yeah. much like, say, Ride the Lightning that you just need to own. Mm. I, I genuinely feel it's that important. But then again, I'm biased because I really like Doom. <laughs> so yeah, before we go into the last track, uh, we'll do something that we've got to do on like every single episode so far. Um, the the plug stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, basically, we could really do with like you know, rate, review us on iTunes. We're now up on iTunes. <laughs> subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. And more so than anything, tell your friends about it. We probably covered some albums like a friend of yours might like. Yeah, time to give it a listen. Like it'd be so good if we could build this into like a bit of a community. Like, get on the Facebook page. Me and Rob don't have a huge amount of metal-loving friends, so we would love to just have more discussions about this stuff. So yeah, if there's anything you like, anything you disagree with, anything you think we should cover, perhaps you know, just let us know. We're on Facebook. We've got have we got a Twitter. Oh, uh, we do. We I do. Have, <laughs> I have started using it properly. But yeah, we also have a Twitter. Or or like if you you want to send us a private message. Um, Contact us at philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. Like, we'd, yeah, we'd just love to hear some feedback on what we're doing and whether this is any enjoyment to you guys. Uh, and yeah, so we're going to leave you with Candlemass's Blackstone Wielder. <laughs>